And that's why we kind of call ourselves a brand lab. You know, we kind of look at that. What's the alchemy that we're trying to bring together? New ways of bringing an idea together. It should be like, I'm trying to positively disrupt my market. Like, then what do I do? Like, come into the lab and let's find like these kind of little nuggets and little eyedroppers of certain new ideas that could be combined and create something completely new. Welcome to SHI's Innovation Heroes, a podcast exploring the people and businesses making a difference in our constantly disrupted world. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. Brand positioning, brand equity, brand architecture. There's a lot of marketing jargon out there to bolster the overarching idea that who you are and what you're about as a business should be reinforced in every single aspect of how you communicate to your clients, from logos to packaging and messaging. One thing we don't think about anymore is how we experience a business or a brand. Part of the blame can rest on COVID for shutting the world down, removing human contact from the equation, and forcing us all online for the last two years. And the other part is just the reality of living in an ever-expanding virtual world where real-life experiences are harder and harder to come by. But the truth is, right now, businesses actually have a pretty exciting moment to seize. By creating new in-person experiences, leaders can open the world back up again for and with their clients hand in hand. That's important because according to my next guest, purpose-driven, emotionally engaging and in-person brand experiences are the key to helping businesses thrive in the 21st century. Hello and welcome back to Innovation Heroes. I'm your host, Ed McNamara. Today, I'm speaking with Grant Barth, thought leader in the fashion, footwear and consumer goods industries, eternal optimist and heroic creative. Having spent 14 years at Nike and four years at Levi's focusing on product innovation and process re-engineering, Grant knows a thing or two about how to elevate a brand's vision and guide it into the future. This is why he became the global brand president of ThenWhat, a self-described transformative brand lab that helps brands to develop the creative strategies and solutions needed to create engagement, build brand equity, and increase shareholder value. Grant, it's great to have you here. Welcome to Innovation Heroes. Grant, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast uh, today. To kick things off, can you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming the global brand president at Then What? Thanks a lot, Ed. Great to talk to you today. My journey has been a bit of a nice winding road. I'm incredibly fortunate to have had all the opportunities. I'm originally from very humble beginnings on a farm in Southern Illinois and worked my way up through buying offices and department stores in the Midwest and eventually after grad school really focused on international business where I worked with companies like Nordstrom and then eventually moved to Portland to work with Nike during their high growth years in the late 90s and stayed there for 16 years. 10 years of that was growing the business in Asia Pacific and Japan. And then when I moved back to the States, in the early 2010s, I went to work for Levi's as the chief merchandising officer leading up to their IPO. And after that, was had the opportunity to reflect and kind of see where the future is headed. I saw brands becoming more like media companies and felt the need to really go to Los Angeles to really understand the studio business and media and started my company, Then What, which is a brand lab that it consists of an advisory business and actually helping brands build new areas of growth and opportunity. So we intersect uh, brands, music, entertainment, and partnerships to really look at new ways of how 
to engage the fans of the future. Excellent. So because of who you worked for, I'm going to go a little off script for a second. And kind of when you mentioned, you know, I've never spoken to anybody that, that I know of that worked at Levi Strauss and Nike before. So both of those brands really invented something that, you know, in a world like I think a long, long past. When you got to Nike, it was already a 30-year-old company, but when you were at Levi, I mean, they got a patent on the first pair of jeans in like 1873. So from a branding perspective, and as a marketer myself, like we talk about SHI and we say 30 years, and we're so proud of our 30 years because in IT, that's an eternity. But how do you show reverence from a branding perspective from generations of people at a company like Levi Strauss that came before you and then keep making it new going forward? Does that make sense? I think that it really goes in to start from a brand perspective, a really strong point of view about what is the DNA of a brand. And that's how we kind of approach everything even today. At Levi's, you know, Levi's always said was kind of like this, this beautiful, um, you know, trunk that you keep, <laughs> keep all these stories in that's kind of been refinished by all the new people that kind of come through, you know, come through the doors. And what we were, what we found as kind of a new team during the time I was there was that, you know, when, when brands kind of go off, off track a little bit, you can sometimes fall into kind of chasing, right? You have to run a business, you have to excite new fans for the future. And it can be if you don't have a real strong point of view or confidence that you can go chasing kind of what's working in the day. And over time, slightly veer off of what's really your authentic self, like from a, you know, as a brand. And so, you know, my work there was really, yes, paying reverence to what was iconically Levi's, mm. the 501 jean, the trucker jacket, the Western shirt, all things that Levi's invented. And so that's where it starts. And then you start to then look to the current tribes and the followers and the fans of your brand and then you start to get to understand them as consumers and their behavior and where they're going and then once you become yourself again you really just let those brand fans kind of take you on a journey and you get alongside with them and you're off on a different path and one that's stronger and really built for the future but the key is don't ever give your dna away Right. And DNA is key. I was literally today years old when I found out that Levi was somebody's first name. It was just part of the public nomenclature at this point. You know, it's amazing. Yeah. Being at Nike and, and Levi's, how did that experience, you know, working for leading global brands? So I was talking real ancient history, but they are, you know, global brands. How does that help you understand the importance of, of brand experience, if that's a term? Well, for me, brand is really everything. It's uncompromising. We have a lot of clients that come in either they're new to a company or they're looking to revitalize or start a new or start a new company and they say we want to be a brand how do you yeah how do you approach that and it really is about understanding that brands require investment and it takes a long time to really build that philosophy and you know my thinking has always been if you build a brand then everything else kind of falls into place mm -hmm. And that's, that's not for everybody, right? Some people just don't have the time or patience to really do that. And that's fine. That's a whole other different business. But the brand does require that investment. And with that investment comes the experience. Because you want people to be really, really intimate about your authentic core, the story of the brand, your origin story, your values, 
the aesthetic, what you really bring to offer and how that sharp point is so true to you that it stands apart from everyone else. And, and that's difficult. It doesn't come easy. It takes a lot of investment of time and creativity and strategy to really get to that point. But ultimately, the way you move your fans forward is to bring them into that full experience. And that's what I think is really fascinating and exciting about how brands evolve and move forward. Um, how important is it to find brand ambassadors? Because I know at Nike, growing up in the generation and seeing what Nike did since I was a kid playing basketball, and then later, you know, there was... To me, it was Bono's and it was Michael Jordan. And they were the biggest brand, or the first brand ambassadors I ever really realized as a kid and didn't even know it at the time. But how important is it to balance those kinds of like high profile ambassadors with like, you know, the regular Joe on the street getting their acceptance of it as well? Is that uh, easy, difficult? You know, how do you balance that? I think the importance of a brand ambassador is, is really somebody who's a true authentic fan right? Who really believes in like your mission, your vision and what the brand stands for. Actually, if you're creating products, they're actually using the products and even could potentially be advising on how to improve that. But they should really represent your values more than anything else. And I think that especially with how consumers interact with brands today, that transparency and what they speak about and stand for and having them really be out front. And when they could be kind of a, I call a brand ambassador very different than an influencer because it's somebody that's that has a stronger partnership, a stronger relationship with that brand. It is very important because they really represent a lot of what you stand for from just the values, but also like how the product is used. They can be a spokesperson on many different levels. And it's really important. I think that great one is Serena Williams for Nike. Mm-hmm. She represents reverence, longevity, authenticity, you know, has no apologies. And she's also like at the top of her game, right? Right. And no matter what she does. And I think that your brand ambassador should really hold that standard as high as you do and just be uncompromising. That's such a great description. And I know the podcast is called Innovation Hero. So I'm going to get, I'm going to peel my, myself away from the marketing aspect of it, which I'm personally fascinated by because we could fill up our whole time on that. Switching gears for a minute. Um, we spoke to Stacey Shulman from Intel recently, and she was the one that told us about the amazing creative approach that you helped develop called the theater methodology which I know you also incorporate into your work at Then What. How did theater methodology come about and what are some of the basic concepts? Yeah, I think one of the things I really love about what I do is to keep really amazing leaders in business and technology and innovators, you know, really close. And Stacy's one of those from Intel. And she was really, she's also like the catalyst of a lot of ideas. She helps kind of move those forward. And when we, back in 2019, she brought together like a group of people to kind of incubate those innovation questions and ideas and just blue sky thinking around what is the future experience from brands, from technology, and through immersive. And we had some projects that were moving forward into 2020. And of course, we know what happened. And she really encouraged us to go and continue that work digitally and online. We did a lot of interviews with people from theater and people in technology, people from brands, people from music and entertainment. And what were the common themes? And to create a process that was, you know, that we could become a methodology if a brand or anyone wanted to create immersive experience like how would you actually start to approach that and so through our research and what we created came down to really three key things one was that creativity rules and this is really the true value of an experience 
The second was that strategy actually has the lowest cost and the highest ROI to any project. And oftentimes we found that business leaders kind of jump that process because they want you to move fast or they have something that's new and exciting they want to try out. They forget that actually putting the strategy, writing the script of the story you're trying to tell, who you're trying to tell to is like really, really important, can actually save you money in the long run. And then the third is that technology amplifies the creativity, the story, and the strategy. It should always be something that fits in and not something that you kind of jump into and chase and and retrofit. It should really be an enhancer to every story you're trying to tell to your consumer. And what does the theater methodology provide for brands seeking to deepen their engagement with customers? And what are some of the key concepts behind it? Yeah, when we looked at it, first of all, it's a starting point, right? So experience, it's a word that can be used kind of as the new corporate buzzword or the quick fix. It has a lot of different definitions. So what we attempted to do was actually create this Rosetta Stone that a lot of different disciplines could actually come together and start to converse about what does creative mean to experience? How does technology fit into that? How does producing work with you know the different areas of discipline to actually bring that experience to life? And really start to lay out what's the percentage of a budget that's spent at each stage of the process. So, you know, for us, it's we felt it was a really great tool for a CEO of a brand, as an example, who might hear from their head of marketing or head of retail that we need to have more experience infused to our into our process. And the CEO might come from a just purely from finance and may not know all the avenues around creativity or even how an experience would be created. This could be a way to have a really quick understanding of a process of a percentage of how much of a budget would be spent through each different division or each different discipline and actually just get a better understanding before jumping in and signing a check to go ahead and spend a lot of money that may or may not actually hit the KPIs that the brand is trying to deliver. So you said that you were bringing people in from different disciplines and you specifically mentioned people from the theater. What was their initial reaction when you told them what the end goal was? Were they like, are you sure you're looking for me? Or were they they like, finally, somebody asked our opinion on this? You know, What was the, the general reaction when you're bringing people people from these different disciplines in? I think everybody's very enthusiastic to ask their opinion because it wasn't about changing the way they worked. It was just more understanding the way they worked. And in theater, we found that lighting and sound are two of the most important components to creating actually a memory. And in other areas, it was different senses that were being ignited for different reasons. So they were very enthusiastic just to have somebody listen and understand their process and how it might be helpful to another, you know, another discipline. We worked with Area 15 down in Las Vegas, who has a full immersive experience. They work with Meow Wolf, a creative partner that has a big part of that physical space in Vegas. And just understanding, you know, they're kind of also bringing all these different areas to life in different ways, again, to reignite the senses. So it was really nice to hear from music, entertainment, theater, technology, and experts in pure immersive experience, like how they approached it. And our job was just really looking for those commonalities and having it be kind of synthesized to a way that could present some new ideas, but then also confirm some 
approaches and ideas that somebody might already have. Yeah. And we had a, an episode about Area 15 on last season's Innovation Heroes and just the idea that you can make something so different and immersive right steps off of the Las Vegas Strip is really fantastic. So kudos again to you and the extended team that did that because it's a tall task and there must have been a lot of pressure on make that happen. Yeah, it's great. They're great. They're just a great thought partner. We love to work with them. They just have so many creative ideas and approaches. And what I like from my perspective, like you can take basically an eyedropper of something they do. And that alone, that one single idea could be immensely powerful to, you know, to a retail partner or just a brand that's trying to excite their fans in new and different ways. I like the eyedropper analogy. I mean, when something gets dropped in, a reaction happens. That's what you're looking for, right? Exactly. And that's why we kind of call ourselves a brand lab. You know, we kind of look at that. What's the alchemy that we're trying to bring together? New ways of bringing an idea together. It should be like, I'm trying to positively disrupt my market. Like, then what do I do? Like, come into the lab and let's find like these kind of little nuggets and little eyedroppers of certain new ideas that could be combined to create something completely new. As a music lover and concert goer, I can't wait to see more shows again after being cooped up for so long. But as a marketing director, what Grant shared about introducing theatrical elements into the brand experience and really getting people together to share in something unique really got me thinking about how businesses can find their way back to their clients by bringing their brands to life through creative art forms and in-person gatherings. Why do you think it's important to create theatrical experience for customers? What's at stake for companies who don't invest in a deeper level of engagement? Yeah, this is my really strong opinion that I think as a brand, the last thing you want to be is mediocre. And this is not something around like, you know, price or distribution channel in a market or who the consumers you're trying to reach. Every consumer and brand fan wants to be treated special and wants to have something be new and exciting that you're bringing to life, whatever that might be. But the last thing a brand wants to do is kind of be, just kind of call, phone it in and be mediocre. What you want to be is memorable. And those emotional memories and experiences, the way that you do that. You know, one of the things that, one of my favorite things is I, I look at, you know, what I keep is like the ticket stuff to the first concert that I do, right? And or a lot of people like, you know, that's why you keep like a t-shirt to your first concert or it's like those physical items that represent a memory that is thing that's a, a milestone in your life. It's those emotional memories are really interesting and how and why are they special and really diving into that. I think the more that the brands can do that and understand like what is that emotional connection, that's when they're really going to get devotion for the long run. That emotion that's connected to a, a time, a place or a thing. I think it's pretty safe to say you're not one of the people who are who are listening to those predicting the downfall of theater, which has been predicted for you know, at least half a century now, right? No, I'm I'm completely the opposite. I, think, <laughs> I you know, thought so. People will want escape and fantasy no matter what. The more serious things get, the more the people will want to escape for just a moment or just kind of, you know, have a balance to their to their real life. That's really important. You know, just a time to refresh and experience like something new. And theater is always an amazing way to do that. No doubt. But now technology is definitely encroaching on that. And it's all often the determining factor in what makes or breaks an experience. So in your opinion, how important is technology in creating an immersive and theatrical brand experience? 
Yeah, the bar is raised in in what we see. And I think there's, again, it's the creative intention that you start out with. You know, I always say that sometimes the most emotional experience can be just like eight candles in a room and an amazing sound system can be just the simplicity could be really amazing. But maybe the sound is the technology that ignites that sense, right? And that memory. But And other times, I think there's like so many great immersive experiences that really use technology to their fullest. It could be through um, projection mapping in a new way. It can be through, again, different lighting and how things are presented. And it's just how you use that, how you use the technology to bring that creative to life. What's the most important thing? But I see we have a lot of technology first companies that are coming in and saying, like, we actually want to move in the physical world. How do we show both? How do we bring that pure tech experience? How do you bring it to life in the real world where the two seem very cohesive and complementary? And so, you know, that's very interesting to us because we love making the physical and how that comes to life in a variety of ways. So having somebody that's purely digital or purely tech coming together again it's that that kind of a different approach to solving a problem or an or seeing a new opportunity is really what is interesting and i think that's exactly where the world is going you know with all the experimentation you do combine that with some of the big name companies that you're working for have has it not worked at some that kind of experimentation and if it doesn't has it been almost to the point where the company isn't ready for that kind of experience or they're not embracing it. Like what happens if the client doesn't embrace it like you need them to? I think what we find is there's just, there's so many factors that make success. And often I would say the one common theme is that the physical and the operational requirements of a brand or company like are usually the deterrents, right? Mm. To bringing it fully to life. So, and that's not bad. It's just, you do have to, I think sometimes, you know, people's eyes are very big about what's possible, which is great, but you have to synthesize that down to the reality and the physical plant that you're working with. And I think then that's when you kind of talk into more like long-term road mapping. So something that could build over time is more our solution. How do we say, great, if you can't do it this year, what do you need to do that? That might be three years out, but we can still start a small kind of ignition point and grows and builds over time. And it kind of ties into something that you pointed out during our pre-chat the other day, that it's really crucial to learn how to distinguish between hype and the real deal. So in a world that's becoming, I won't say obsessed, but definitely placing more importance on virtual experience, you know, what are the trends that you're seeing that related to some of the more immersive experiences for customers? Yeah, I think that in the trends that are out there, we definitely see people leaning more into the wellness aspect and really understand, like, I think they want more out of it than just kind of entertainment. It is, you know, ways that can almost, yes, escape, but then also delivering some sort of benefit. And, you know, those benefits can come in in very different ways. I would say that the more personal these engagements can be, the better, more customized. I think people want to come away with a very, like, unique and special experience that maybe not everybody has. That's also still, like, a big trend that's out there. So, you know, in all, though, I think everybody wants to, they're eager to get back to physical 
you know, engagements. They want to get back into building community face-to-face in the right way. I think that there's this, you know, people have lost time and they don't necessarily want to go backwards, but they do want to say, you know, want to show some like guiding lights about new ideas that kind of can lead them forward. And also like deliver optimism. There's a lot of things that can drag you down, but everyone's looking for like, what's those optimistic moments that Mm. are a little bit more joyful and bring delight and bring people together versus dividing people. Absolutely. So that brings us to kind of the forward-looking portion. You know, do you have any overarching goals for the theater methodology and what next steps might you be taking to achieve that? You know, we were really fortunate last fall. I was able to take methodology into the university sector at the University of Utah, the multidisciplinary design program there. And we worked with the studio designers to actually start from a blank slate, like an idea and the methodology and how would that come to life through a pure creative perspective. And so that became, you know, they put on a live experience that was, that built kind of a community, like very unexpectedly. And now they're taking that forward and building that into something that could become really powerful in this region, you know, over time. So I'd like to go back and continue to do that and become this center of excellence of collaboration and experiential innovation and design, bringing a lot of the art of experience and the art of process, but also like the science part of it too you know, the mechanics of what it really takes Mm -hmm. to bring these things to life. Because that's what I think a lot of brands, a lot of business leaders, and a lot of creative leaders are actually looking for. You know, again, we have a great idea, but like, how do I bring that to life? I have a great idea, then what do I do? So this is one area where I think we could lead and start to bring a lot of people together through a process and keep building it over time. It's interesting. We've been talking for a while now, and I I don't think I've heard you say product once yet. Is, Is that in your vocabulary? It's absolutely in my vocabulary because at the end of the day is product is what people do buy and take home and right. save and use and cherish whatever your intention is. And it takes a great one to make great brands. Um, so I kind of go into the aspect that's a completely, that's another conversation, but it's <laughs> right. equally and most important. Got it. Okay. Just making sure those are the ones that pay the bills, right? Are there any limitations, technical or otherwise, to theater methodology that you wish you could overcome or you know, maybe predict that you can overcome them in the future? I would say not hurdles, but the one thing that we've come across is just understanding the cost you know, at each stage is really important. And really getting people to understand, like to really comprehend how a budget is created and managed, and also just having empathy for the different disciplines that are required to bring all of this to life. It starts with a great idea, but it takes a team and teamwork and collaboration throughout. And that's definitely like something that can be overlooked. And in things like this, when you're driving a creative vision, it's really important to have a strong point of view, but also bring a lot of people along the way and be fully invested in it. I think that's ultimately what makes you know things great, be it a product, be it an experience, be it a brand, right? It takes everyone to be really invested in a vision and feel like they have a voice and that their expertise is valued. Excellent. So Grant, one of the trends that we see is the idea of localism in terms of local experience, the local events. I don't know if it's new. As a kid, I always remembered, I grew up not far from New York and it wasn't just the Thanksgiving Day Parade. It was the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? It was always like, it was going to happen on this day at this time and you could set your watch by it. And it was, if you were within driving distance, you could get there, you know? So in terms of people getting out there and experiencing things again, how has localism become, you know, I don't want to say, you know, back in fashion or 
Can you speak to the level of importance of how you see that in terms of experiences now? Yeah, I'll use an example. In Asia, we do work with a lot of companies in China and in Japan specifically. What the pandemic really did was to take people very, very, very local, right, back into their homes. Yep. But then also probably relying on their community more than ever before. And we came into that from a very strong global perspective for a lot of brands, like global centralized creative product creation and just, you know, driving a stronger global consistency. What we're finding now, especially in Asia, and you'd see this in the US regionally as well, I think there's been more creative that's come forward where people really want something that is unique and their own and still respecting the brand. But I think they want the brand to really understand what they're about and what they're about locally. So you see a lot, and we, and you do hear community probably being the strongest word used. And that just means people wanting to take what they, you know, the people that have been their friends and who they relied on and really start to bring them together and start to build something that they can be more special. They can create something that's unique. And we see that, you know, at a country level and stronger kind of a country point of view when it comes to how brands respond to them. So it's a big trend and I don't see it backing off anytime soon. Yeah, I noticed you used the word, I wrote down unique and their own. And then very shortly afterwards, you said community. So it, it's almost like unique, but I want it shared too. Yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of pride in creativity. And I think that was something that people are more confident now, right? They're confident in sharing kind of what they create and how they see the world. And I think that's been something that social media has allowed. But I think people want that to come into the physical world. And they want brands that engage with them and have a two-way dialogue. And that's really where I think this is all going. I agree about social media. There, I don't know how many times my wife and I will show one another something and we'll just say, you know, there are some really funny people out there. <laughs> and uh, so I second that notion. Yeah. We've been talking and of course, we're going to run out of time and I feel like we could go on for a very long time. If people want to learn more about theater methodology and the work that you're doing, you know, with either that or all the other things that you're doing, how can they follow you? Yeah, the easiest way is to follow me, Grant Barth on LinkedIn. And that kind of takes you on the then what journey. We're constantly evolving. You can follow us online and on Instagram at then what. We have a lot of new projects coming, launching in the next six to eight months. So it's going to be kind of a fast flurry of, of activities. We're involved in a creative conference in Salt Lake City that also celebrates the history of house music. So that's going to be on September 10th. So look forward to a whole community of creators coming together for that. So we're really excited to be, again, involved in our local community here so there's a lot of places to get us, but you can always reach out to me directly. If there's a teaser to add to the history of house music, because whenever there's a history of something, I always think, oh, that's going to be from like the mid 80s, right? And somebody's like, are you crazy? There was house music in the 1800s or something like that. Like, can you give me a <laughs> teaser in terms of like what would be most surprising about that? Well, we are going deep into Detroit house this time. So we're inviting some of the originals and the new the new DJs from Detroit to Salt Lake City, which already has people scratching their heads a bit. But it's been really great to kind of, you know, deepen that evolution. And with a lot, you know, with Beyonce coming out with her house album and mm. you have a whole new generation eager to learn more about the history and then where it's evolving. So we, we're going to bring something unique and to this whole new audience. That sounds great. I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. Grant Barth, Global Brand President and Chief Product Officer at Then What. It was really great talking to you today and thanks for your time. Thanks, Ed. Really appreciate the time to share my ideas. 
At a time when people are craving a sense of connection and community offline and in person, business leaders and creatives have an opportunity to combine forces and usher in a new wave of experiential branding that brings people together to enjoy a unique experience, grow their bottom lines, and form lasting relationships. Thanks for listening to this episode of Innovation Heroes. Every two weeks, we meet with the unsung heroes who are radically changing the way we live and work in order to tackle the major challenges facing transformational businesses. So tune in to our next episode in two weeks. You won't want to miss it. If you enjoyed this episode, then consider being our hero. Smash that like button and subscribe button to Innovation Heroes wherever you listen to your podcasts. Innovation Heroes is a Pilgrim content production in collaboration with SHI. Our producers are Brian Brusis, Christina Clark, and Tobin Dalrymple, with production assistance from Amanda Sheffer-Cavanaugh and Ryan Wetter.